Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 2nd of October, 2011. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in with the show today. And let's start with our contact info. If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so a couple of different ways. You can do the voicemail, you can do email, uh, or you can always contact me over at the Gun Rights Radio Forum uh, under Firearms Cafe section and leave me uh, some messages there. Uh, the thing that I probably check the most is either the uh, the voicemail or the emails. I try and check those pretty much uh, as often as I can. I don't get over to the forums all that much. I don't seem to, you know, for whatever reason, generate much response or, or uh, feedback over at the forums. And maybe that's because I have the voicemail and uh, and the uh, the email where people can also send mp3s and wave files and things like that to me uh, so anyway if you'd like to contact me through the voicemail that's 206-745-8120-6745-2731 if you'd like to contact me through uh, the email and you wanted to uh, attach a wave file or an mp3 like i'd said before always feel free to do that or I can just read the email out for you. Again, if it's something where you wanted to contact me but you didn't want it uh, as part of the show, just let me know, and, and that's fine too. That's not a problem. So that email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. All right, now, last time I think I had asked for uh, you guys to go ahead and call in to the voicemail number, and I got uh, quite a few responses from that, so I'm going to go ahead and play those today. We've got, let's see, about one, two, three, about four of them today that we'll play. And as far as as the quality goes, I don't know, and I, I did talk about this stuff on, on the Armed Ape Show. Oh, and that's another thing. Uh, since I am using this for both podcasts, for both Firearms Cafe and for the Armed Ape Podcast, uh, just let me know uh, which podcast you'd like it played on. Uh, so anyway, I talked a little bit over there about the quality. I don't know if the quality is going to be as good as it was when I was using K7. Uh, and again, the reason why I didn't go back to, coast, to K7 was because they were saying that they uh, were not going to take, they weren't taking any more customers. So I guess all their lines or whatever were, were filled up. Uh, but anyway, we've got some uh, feedback from Tom. We've got some from Jason, from Jim, and also from uh, Brad. So let's see. Do we want to? Yeah, let's go ahead and let's jump in with the um, with the feedback, and I'll do some comments like I always do after after we hear the feedback. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about a piece that that I watched on 60 Minutes. I don't know if I really have the ability to pull the audio. Uh, that I'd like to use for it, so I may just talk about it. We'll see if if, uh, if I can easily pull the audio. I will. Uh, but anyway, the the 60 Minutes piece was about New York City's counterterrorism unit. So anyway, let's go ahead and get our uh, feedback going. So take it away, Tom. Hey, Tony, this is Tom from Roanoke, Virginia. I'm glad to hear you're back in the voicemail business. I've been listening to your podcast about your trip to the gun show. I'm sorry you didn't get that 12-gauge, but um, Mossberg seem to be readily available, so hopefully you get one in the future. 
I just have a couple of comments. I can't remember specifically which show it was on. We talked about that you've got the Ruger LCP. I own one as well. I've had one probably a couple of years. I like it a lot. Triggers take some getting used to, but after you get used to it, it seems to be a very accurate piece of work. I also got the uh, Crimson Trace laser for that. It just the my old 55-year-old eyes don't seem to be able to see that front sight very clearly anymore. But with the Crimson, Crimson Trace laser on it, I uh, seem to be able to hit reliably up about 15 yards easily. I don't think it's a 25-yard target pistol, but it'll do what you need it to do, and I'm very happy with it. Um, I know you picked up that uh, Ruger 22. I'm assuming you got the Mark II version. I own the full barrel 5.5-inch 22.45, which is also the Mark II. I like it a lot. I've had it quite a while. Very accurate pistol, and I uh, hope to pass it on to my grandson someday. I uh, really enjoy the podcasts. Uh, keep up the good work. Bye. Hey, Tom. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. You know, I still haven't had a chance to go down and pick up an LCP. Well, I guess I should rephrase that. I probably have had plenty of chances to go down and pick one up. I haven't found one for the price that I like yet. And I, I, I know that eventually I'll get one. Then there's one out there. It's floating around out there. Uh, and eventually I'll get one. Um, I'll either find a, one for a good price, maybe at a, at a gun store. Although it seems like a lot of times when I go to the gun stores and look at even some of the used ones, they're only about maybe $15, $20 cheaper uh, than... Um, than a new one, and and let so let's say that if I went into you know gun shop A, and they've got their LCP priced at, let's say it's a, a used one and it's two hundred eighty eighty five dollars for a used one, uh, then their new ones will normally be around probably three hundred and twenty three twenty five, uh, and so I know that and, and at that particular gun store, um, the one that I'm thinking of. I know there's other gun stores that I can go to where I can find that same exact brand new LCP for $300. Now, of course, I know I'm going to pay tax and all that, but if I'm buying it from the store, I'm going to pay tax you know, no matter what. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to find one out there. Uh, probably I'll end up going through a private sale. Um, the one that I had looked at, uh, oh, maybe about a month or so ago, the guy had it priced, and it was a little higher than what I'd kind of thought. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see if he kind of comes down. But I think when he and he did, he came down, and I thought, well, maybe he'd be willing to come down a little bit more. And uh, then I think the ad was pulled. So I think somebody bought it, thought that, that was a fair price for what they were getting. Now that particular one had the Crimson Trace laser on there, and it came with an extra mag and some a couple other things. So. Uh, even then the price I thought was maybe a little, uh, it, it could have come down a little bit for, you know, for what the gun is worth and all that stuff. Um, as far as the shotgun goes, you know, there's tons of Mossbergs out there. I just really like the Mossberg. It's what I hunted with as a kid and all that stuff. And I've said all this junk before, but, uh, I'm just familiar with it. When I shoulder it, you know, it comes up to the same place all the time. I, you know, I'm f so familiar with all the controls. It's all, you don't even think about any of that stuff. And that's what you want. You want to get to where, when you're using your firearm, whether it's for hunting or whether it's going to be in a 
a, a self-defense thing, or even if you're just out plinking around with it, you you want your your movements and your things to be natural, and and you don't really want to have to think about manipulating the gun so much, or like, am I doing this right? And you're fumbling around looking for the safety, that type of thing. So uh, for me, the the Mossberg is going to be my uh, my shotgun of choice. And I've actually got my eye on a couple of them. We'll see if I can get the price, uh, you know, to what I want. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, one thing that you had said in there, um, and you'd also talked about that 1045, or not 1045, um, 2245, which is the Ruger. I held a couple of those at the uh, at the gun show, and I liked the the uh, the angle of the grip, but it actually felt pretty what's the word pretty narrow i guess um and i know you can get different um what do they call them stocks i guess or grips whatever you want to call them for the side that you could have them be a little thicker uh and i think if i did that to where it filled it filled the hand a little bit more i think i'd probably like that a little better but i really like the feel of that uh the mark ii that i got um but anyway tom had said kind of toward the tail end of his uh, voicemail there that he was looking forward to passing things on to his family and or his, I think his grandkids. And that's one thing, you know, that you can do with guns that that if you just take halfway decent care of them, they'll last several lifetimes. Um, now, of course, guns have moving parts and they're mechanical things, so certain things are going to wear out. But uh, it's one of those things that most guns, especially if you're buying something new, uh, are so well made nowadays that again if you just take minimal care of them you'll be able to pass those down to your kids and they'll be able to pass them down to their kids Uh, so it's one of those things that uh, you know you can kind of have a little bit of you sort of living on and kind of a on a related note my grandfather used to have a double barrel shotgun and they had some uh, some roofers come over or something, or they had some people doing some work over at the house, and then shortly after that, the thing disappeared. So uh, kind of what everybody thought was that maybe one of those guys had come and stolen it or something like that. Uh, and it was something where it was just in a closet. So, uh, But none of the other family members had it, and we were, we were talking about that uh, you know, a few months ago and, and one of my uh, cousins had said, Oh, did you, you know, you don't happen to have that thing by the way. And I'm like, no. And then we kind of pieced it together that it was probably, uh, we thought it was stolen. We actually talked to my uncle and he said, yeah, we think it was stolen, you know, years and years ago. But I tell you what, I sure would have loved to have had that double barrel shotgun. Now, I don't really know anything about it other than it was a double barrel uh, shotgun. I don't know, you know, what brand it was or anything like that. But I remember it as a kid, and it would, I would, that would be something that I would love to, uh, uh, to have in my possession today. It would be a really neat keepsake. So anyway, that's going to wrap up that bit of feedback. Let's go ahead and uh, let's hear from Brad. Hey Tony, Brad from West Michigan. Hey man, just wanted to send you a quick note. Let you know that uh, the audio quality uh, at your uh, road trip there to the gun show was was great. Uh, wasn't a distraction in any way to perform. Uh, you were could hear you clearly. In fact, uh, I was really impressed with how good the audio quality was when you were there. I've heard much worse on other podcasts. Um, 
What was it? Oh, congrats on your purchase of your Mark II. Very jealous anytime anybody gets to go shopping for a gun and pick something up. Uh, but congrats. It's very cool. Hope your wife enjoys that. Uh, it's awesome. And uh, thanks for hooking up another voicemail. Very cool. Um, I know I sent you an audio. I think I sent you an audio. Yeah. Through the computer, but this voicemail stuff is really convenient. It's cool to have back again. So thanks for doing that, buddy. All right, man. I'll keep listening. Hope to hear from you soon. See ya. Bye. Hey, Brad. Thanks for sending that in. Great to hear from you. You had mentioned that uh, Ruger Mark II that I got, and Tom had mentioned that as well. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with that thing. Now, kind of from a training issue, if you have somebody that is not real comfortable around guns, what's nice about the 22s is that it's something that doesn't make a lot of noise. It doesn't, you know, when you compare it to some of the big magnums and things like that. Uh, it's not a, uh, a gun that you have a lot of felt recoil. Some people say, oh, there's no recoil. There's, there's recoil. Uh, but you really don't feel it so much. So for that first-time shooter or for that shooter who is still real uneasy uh, about being around guns, maybe they, they were raised that you know guns were bad and you should never touch them. And, and so there's a lot of stuff that, that they need to kind of work through and overcome uh, if they want to maybe kind of progress on to, uh, to a different level, meaning that they're going to shoot maybe larger caliber stuff that's going to have a little bit more felt recoil. Uh, let's say if you're trying to get somebody who who has a lot of um, kind of misgivings and has a lot of fear around maybe maybe going up to a 9mm, they just kind of feel, well, that's just too big for me. A lot of times you can ease them in with that 22. And uh, so that's, again, that's one of the reasons I got that. Uh, also, though, it's just they're fun to shoot and you can shoot very economically. Um, you can run shoot, excuse me, you can run through and set up obstacles and do lots of different things. Uh, and trigger time is going to be trigger time. You can still practice, you know, trigger control, keeping your sights lined up and level practice on, you know, focusing on the front sight practice on trigger manipulation, you know, all that type of stuff. You can still get lots and lots of practice with that. Uh, and it's, it's, it, you know, it's going to agree. I don't, I don't necessarily think that you have to be one of these People that say things like, well, if you're going to carry a 9mm, that's all you should ever shoot. Or if you're going to carry a Glock or an XD, you shouldn't you know, practice with anything. I, I, you know, We're not robots. We can overcome and we can adapt to things. So uh, Now, I do think it's a good idea. Um, and I have got on order, kind of speaking of uh, 22s, I've got on order the uh, Advantage Arms Kit, which I've had on order for a long time. Um, and boy, it's going to be a long time still before I get it. Uh, and I think I don't know if I talked about this. I think I talked about this when I was when I interviewed Ken uh, a couple episodes ago. But anyway, uh, and I can't remember if that was on this show or if it was on the Armed Ape. They all kind of they kind of uh, get jumbled up in my head. Um, but anyway, uh, when that comes in, what will be nice is it will give me real familiarity because all the controls are going to be pretty much the same and the grip, you know, the, the, the frame is going to be the same and all that. And that's something too, that will be a good training aid for my wife because she'll be able to get that. She'll be able to get a lot of familiarity with how the, the, uh, the Glock feels because uh, it's going to have a different feel obviously than, than the Ruger. But 
Um, oh, and you know what else just popped into my head? And I know people are going to disagree, and I used to be one of these guys that kind of disagreed with with the fact that can you use a twenty two as a self-defense round? And the answer is yes, but it kind of comes with that caveat of it's, you've got to have good shot placement. And it's not going to be probably just one shot. You're probably going to want to go bang, 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 uh, and and try and get those things maybe, and you may be wanting to go for a headshot on stuff like that. Now, I don't say this type of stuff lightly because, you know, if in my world or my view, if you're pointing a gun at another human being, it's basically because I would be afraid that either my life or the lives of my family were were going to be ended or that somebody was going to you know try and abduct my daughter or take my another member of my family away from me uh, for who knows what purpose um and at that point I would not hesitate to try and stop them uh, that doesn't mean that just because I have a gun that I would be successful at that but at least you know, having the gun with me I've got an option and if all I had was a Ruger 1020 uh, 1022 if all I had was a Ruger Mark 2 You'd be, you bet your life I'm going to be grateful that I've got that. Uh, and I will dump as many rounds as I need to in that person to make them stop doing what they're doing. Uh, but anyway, I do think that it can be used for self-defense. Nobody on the planet wants to get shot five or six times in the chest or in the face with a twenty-two. I don't care who you are, that's, you know, nobody wants that. So... Uh, are there things out there that are much better than a twenty two for self defense yeah, but if that's all you got or if that's all that I guess I should say more importantly if that's all that somebody can be comfortable with and that's all that they're gonna be able to shoot and to shoot well with you know don't don't tell them no, you can't have that or you shouldn't do that or if you do that you're gonna die because that's that's not true either. Uh, in fact, um, over on the uh, the Rimfire podcast that our friend Ken does, uh, his last show he talked about a little bit about the uh, 22 as a self defense round. So I'd recommend that you guys go over there and give that a listen. All right, well enough of that jibber jabber. Let's go ahead and we'll hear from uh, Jim. Take it away, Jim. Tony, this is Jim Fleming from Reloading Radio. I just want to congratulate you on a much different approach on uh, Show 61. Good job. Thank you for taking my suggestion. (laughs) Didn't mean to bust on you so hard, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Jim. Thanks for sending that in. Great to hear from you. Hope to hear from you again soon. Uh, And uh, thanks for that. I, You know, I had a lot of fun taking my... uh, my portable recorder and I have that Edderall and I was hoping that the audio would come out pretty good and I think it it turned out pretty well so I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it I got some other feedback uh, from some other people saying that they liked it too and thought it was kind of a a nice change from uh, kind of the you know quote-unquote in-studio stuff and uh, I am planning on doing some more things like that in the future and because I, I think it did turn out, you know, relatively well, that I'll be doing stuff like that again. One of the things that I do need to do, especially if I'm going to be outside uh, and not so much in a building, uh, where the, you know, uh, when there, of course, you're not going to get a lot of the wind resistance and stuff, or the wind noise. 
Uh, but I do need to kind of rig up a little uh, windscreen for the portable recorder. And I think once I do that, it'll be pretty good. So, oh, also I've got, uh, I'm hoping to kind of speaking of audio stuff for the show, I may have found um, a decent price on an actual microphone that I can use and then I'll be able to start using the mixer. So hopefully maybe in the next month or so, uh, we'll be able to, I'll be able to kind of boost the audio quality again and, this particular setup, I think what I'll be able to do is to take my small portable recorder and I'll be able to, uh, it's got a, a, a microphone in thing and I can be able to plug that into the, the microphone and actually just have the recorder as kind of like a, basically just acting as the recorder and I won't have to use the actual built-in mics. Uh, so I may even be able to get a little bit better uh, sound quality and things like that. So anyway, Jim, good to hear from you. Hope to hear from you again soon. And we've got one last thing, and this is going to come from Jason. Jason's from up in Canada. And I had talked about uh, and had asked about, you know, are there other do other countries have gun shows? And if they do have them, are they similar to ours? I'd kind of thought, well, maybe there's not too many. Uh, but I guess that there is. And so I, and I also got an uh, email. Many of you guys remember uh, our friend uh, Jens from Germany. And you may have, uh, uh, he had, uh, in fact, on the Armed Ape, he did some uh, reloading equipment reviews and things like that. And so I've had some content from him in the past, so it's good to hear from Yins again. Uh, but Jason talks about some of the, the uh, gun shows in Canada. So we'll go ahead and hear that. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Tony. It's Jason up here in Alberta, Canada, calling. Uh, just listening to the podcast there regarding uh, whether there's gun shows as uh, you have them down in the States anywhere else. And uh, in Canada, we do have gun shows. There are a few different ones. Um, the, the One of the largest gun shows in Canada is actually in Calgary, Alberta, over the Easter uh, weekend. So every Easter weekend, there's a very large gun show. And it is everything. There is... Uh, um, hunting rifles, uh, military-style pistols, uh, everything uh, everything that you can imagine. But then there are other ones that are mostly hunting-related, uh, so a lot of uh, hunting equipment, uh, clothing, um, guns, archery. And then in other places, I know from living in Ontario, they have uh, gun and military area shows, so a lot of books, uh, collectibles, uh, uh, knives, that type of thing. So, I the only gun show that I've gone to the U.S. is in Syracuse, New York, uh, probably about uh, 20 years ago, and uh, that was a, a real a real gun show. So, anyways, uh, thanks, appreciate the podcast, and keep up the good work. All right, hey Jason, thanks for that. Really appreciate it. You know, I was wondering about that, and. Uh, I'd like to know too. I mean, what do you have to have as far? Do you have to have like a special permit to purchase there? If you want to purchase, can you can you buy it like at that show and then take it home with you that same day, or is there any type of a waiting period? Um, is there anything? And does it differ from, uh, let's say, if you were going to buy something like that, that I bought at the gun show? If you were going to buy a Mark II. 
a little 22 pistol, is there any difference between you buying that because it's a handgun and a rifle or a shotgun? Or is there any difference between would they see that little 22 pistol as something different from maybe, let's say, buying a, uh, a Glock 19? Um, and again, I don't know up in Canada... Uh, are you guys limited as far as magazine capacity? Are you limited to 10? Uh, things like that. So I'd, I'd love to hear that, uh, hear about some of that stuff from you. Excuse me about that, uh, Jason. So, But anyway, thanks for sending that in, and I appreciate it. Uh, now, we also have an email uh, from Jens, and uh, he's over, like I would said before, he's over in Germany. And I'll go ahead and uh, see if I can get over here real quick. I will uh, read that out for you guys. This thing is taking its own sweet time loading up here. All right, Jens writes in, and he writes, come on now, get this thing up. Okay, uh, let's see. It says, I'm, uh, he says, hi, Tony, I'm still catching up on all the podcasts, and I'd like to comment on your latest Firearms Cafe podcast. There are gun shows in Germany, although I haven't been to one yet since I live several hundred miles north of them. They only happen a few times per year, and they're usually restricted to people in the firearms business, including reporters from the gun rags, police and security, or hunters-slash-target shooters. There are no minors. Uh, Since the target quote-unquote audience already requires permits to purchase firearms, I'm quite sure those are all that is needed for a purchase at a gun show. Heck, we don't even need FFLs, and for that, for those of you guys that don't know what a FFL is, that's a, uh, this the firearm license that you need, federal firearms license, uh, to send them across the country. All that is required is that the agency handling those packages is licensed to do so. The normal post office, uh, excuse me, the normal postal service isn't, but several courier services are. So again, something like you know over here, what that would mean is that. Things like UPS or FedEx could ship them, but there, but the our actual like U.S. Post couldn't, you know, uh, from their point of view. Uh, Yens is saying that when he finally attends, uh, manages to attend a gun show, that he'll take a digital recorder and he'll send me the uh, the MP3. And he talks a little bit about the Patriot Act. And uh, on the last show, on the uh, going to the gun show uh, episode that I did. I talked about how the Patriot Act should actually be called kind of the destruction of the Fourth Amendment Act. Uh, And so Yen's right here. He said, as for the Patriot Act, check out the Reichstag Fire Decree from 1933, which was followed by the Enabling Act, which further restricted personal freedom. Now compare the Gestapo duties to those of Department of Homeland Security, and you're going to see a lot of parallels. So that was the email from Yens, and I wanted to say thanks for sending that in, Yens. I appreciate it, and I'm really looking forward to getting that MP3 when you go to the gun show there. Uh, and also, I know you'll be able at that time to, to uh, know for sure whether you need any additional uh, paperwork or licensing uh, to buy that. I really that that is really interesting though that you guys can ship stuff across the uh, across the country, and it's not really kind of seen as a big deal. Uh, which over here, that's how it should be too. We shouldn't have to have an FFL to to do that stuff, um, you know. Especially in the uh, 
the kind of the age of the, you know, if you're going to have the background check, they're instant. So, you know, what's the big deal? Um, so anyway, but that's kind of a subject for another day. So we were talking about a little bit toward the end there about the Patriot Act. And I had said earlier in the show that I was going to talk about that 60 Minutes piece. And I don't know, you know, maybe you could find some stuff on YouTube or anything. We had it kind of recorded on our DVR. Uh, it's going to be too much of a pain in the butt to try and actually get the audio from it. Uh, but I, And while the audio would make some good points, I think probably the most effective way to do that would be able to uh, to actually watch, uh, watch the report and actually see the people. Um, it's quite it's very disconcerting uh, kind of the gist of it was is that the uh, the New York Police Department has basically their own counterterrorism unit and what they do is they keep showing uh, the police officers who are part of the counterterrorism unit of course, they're dressed all in black. They got the body armor. They've got the Kevlar helmets on. They've got, uh, you know, their, their gloves on. They've got their AR-15 style rifles, which I don't know for them if they've got um, automatic capability. So if they've got maybe three round burst, or if they're they're just in semi-auto. Um, but I'm, I'm guarantee you those guys aren't limited to magazine by magazine capacity or anything like that. Uh, but anyway, they kept showing these guys, and they you know they're showing them running through the bus, you know buses and doing all this stuff and training, and then they were talking about how many hundreds of millions of dollars that they've spent. Uh, they've got in Manhattan, I think they said something like two thousand cameras. They have a uh, oh the the basically the Orwellian Big Brother thing that England has where they have cameras, the surveillance cameras all over the place, and they've got this huge, again, multi-million dollar room or command center where they can watch all this stuff. The computer programs they have, um, they can, let's say if there was a suspect who was in a red shirt, they can have the computer go back and identify anybody that had the color red on their clothing um, and the more that I watched it and the more that they were doing that stuff and the more that they were talking about things, I was just like, wow, you can't, you can't call, you, you surely cannot call these guys peacekeepers and you can't really even call them law enforcement anymore. They're basically a military, they're, they're pretty much a military unit. Um, and you know, the founding fathers did not want what they would have con- considered probably peacekeepers, they really wouldn't have considered them law enforcement, but they did not want the military used to be, and I'll just, I'm just going to use the word law enforcement. They did not want our military to be our police. That's probably a better way to say it. And they did not want our police to basically turn into a small standing army, which is basically what they are in New York, was what, was what has happened. And in a lot of other places around the country we're seeing the militarization of the police force and we're seeing that they're getting further and further away 
from being part of the community. And I've talked about this stuff before. Uh, when you start to give a certain group of people, whether that's, and usually we do it because of, of a certain job title that they happen to hold. When you start to say you as this certain group or this certain class of people, you are going to have outside of your job, you are going to have more rights and be able to exercise more rights than your fellow citizens, than your fellow civilians. And let's remember, police are not considered, police are considered, excuse me, I should say civilians. They're not considered like how we would consider the how we consider the military, which in my mind, the military, they're still, I guess we have a, a distinction, but they're still citizens. Um, and that, that can be a topic for another show. But in the 60 Minutes piece, it was just more and more, everything these guys were doing was basically just trampling on the Fourth Amendments, uh, on the things that the Fourth Amendment was set up for, and on, on a lot of the concepts and a lot of the things that the Founding Fathers set down in the Constitution to protect us, the citizens. And, uh, you know, they had another thing where they were talking about they've all got these uh, radiation detectors or something like that, radioactive material detectors. And they had a guy who was one of these Harbor Patrol guys, and he was saying, oh, it's so sensitive that even if somebody had a, uh, uh, had you know, the, the radioactive dye in it, if you had to go to the hospital for something, you know, for like a heart problem or they were, you know, wanting to see your circulation, how your circulation does. Uh, if they had some, if a guy had some residual stuff, those things can go off, and then of course they'll stop them and they'll find out. Well, you know, is that is that really what we want happening? To where you know you lose all your privacy, so you have to explain to them, and and maybe they're going to take you in. Maybe they're not just going to talk to you and let you go. And maybe you have to provide documentation and give them your medical records now that showed that you had a. Uh, that you had radioactive dye injected for, uh, you know, a circulatory problem. Well, why do they, they, you know, that's none of their business. They don't need to know that. And people in this country are so willing, so eager to jump in line and say, yes, I'll lay down my freedoms. I'll give them up. I'll put them aside for this dog and pony show, for the promise that you're going to keep me safe when you really can't. Um, they did another, and another thing was they were talking about how just at random, uh, and I don't know if, if they were just saying maybe this would be the transit police that would do this as part of a, a, uh, uh, an arm of this anti-terrorism unit, that they can just stop a subway car for no reason, just random. They can just randomly have the, you know, motion to the, uh, the conductor of the subway car, if that's what they're, that's what they're called. And then they can go through and they can eyeball everybody and look everybody up and down and do all this stuff. And then once they've been satisfied that they've kind of, you know, paraded through, then, okay, they'll let the train go. And they can do the same with buses. And I'm sure eventually, you know, if it's, look, if it's okay to do that to a subway car full of people, subway train full of people, if it's okay to do it to a bus, if it's okay to do it to uh, a regular train, well, if it's okay to do it to a boat, 
why wouldn't it be okay to do it to your individual car? Why wouldn't it be okay if you're on a bicycle for them to stop you, look you up and down, see if you're acting suspicious? How come they can't stop your cab at random? Go in there and look around. So again, I would urge you guys to maybe try and find that 60 minutes piece and uh, just sort of look at that and let me know what you think. I mean, am I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I have my opinion and I have my beliefs on this and uh, those really aren't going to change. But uh, if you have something that's uh, either on the same lines or, or if you think it's a little different or if you think it's, uh, that that's, this is kind of the way to go, uh, let me know. I'd, I'd like to hear from you. you. Can Like I said, you can do it either through the voicemail, you can do it through uh, email, um, you can do an MP3 or a WAV file and send it in, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put your views on the show and let you have, uh, let you kind of have your your piece. Uh, but I, for, I found it, it just it made me very, very uncomfortable, and it it made me very disheartened that things were going that far, and that that the police agency, which is supposed to be sort of the really trying to get out there and help individuals was was basically just becoming you know taking more and more steps to becoming militarized and and, and to uh, to basically having a police state and uh, a lot of times what, what what they're finding over in England and what they're finding over in a lot of places that have the cameras and they know it is that they the cameras do not prevent any crime um if they did, there wouldn't be any crime there. Uh, but crime still goes on. And a lot of times the cameras, the images aren't good enough to identify the people. Or they'll wear like a hoodie or they'll wear a baseball cap because they know how to obscure their faces from the camera. So even though they may catch a robbery or a rape or even a shooting on camera... They still can't identify the person. So, you know, millions and millions of dollars spent, basically wasted, and not very good results. So anyway, um, don't want to leave the show kind of on a downer, but I did think you guys should be aware of that if you haven't already seen it. And uh, like I said, go ahead, take a look at it if you can find it maybe on YouTube. And uh, I, I tell you what, I'm going to look on YouTube and I'll see if I can't find it and I'll put a link to it if I do find it in the show notes. You know, before I sign off, there's uh, just a couple of other things that I needed to mention that they talked about in uh, in the 60-minute piece. One of the things was that they said that the New York Police Department had the uh, capabilities to shoot down an airplane why they should have that capability is beyond me. Where they got the authority for that, I don't know. Uh, makes you kind of wonder, well, what fail-safes are in, in place and when would they feel justified in doing that? Uh, and there, there were several other things. A, a couple of other things that kind of struck me as odd was that they have officers that are in, on the payroll, but they're not in the country. They're in London. They're in Paris. They're 
in several other countries around the world. And the idea would be, well, if a, if a, if a bomb goes off on a train in London, then that person will, uh, will call us and let us know, hey, there was a bomb on a train in London and they, they had the bomb under the seats or the bomb was on the luggage rack or the bomb was where. So now what they're going to do is they're going to go and look and, and uh, I guess, search all the trains or, or do whatever they need to do. So, and a lot of the stuff, you know, they kind of they kind of wanted to give you the impression that they were getting stuff locked down and that they were on top of things. But it seemed to me that most of their stuff was reactionary. That for all of their stuff that they were doing, for all the people they had on there, for all the running around on the streets, most of the things they they did were in response to something that happened somewhere else. I talked earlier about that camera that they had. And they also have a uh, uh, part of the program that it, if it sees a package or something that looks like a suitcase and it's just sitting there, the computer says, hey, this package has been sitting here for, and they didn't give the amount of time, uh, but we'll just say 10 minutes unattended. And what it will do is it will automatically then uh, I guess generate uh, an alert, and like at that point, I don't know what the procedure was. They didn't really say, but I'm sure it alerts somebody who's monitoring stuff, and then they'll send somebody out to check it out. Well, they had a a thing where there was a package that was left on the ground unattended. They made this big show, and it turned out it was somebody's lunch. Uh, they had another thing where they it was a car bomb that they found. But it wasn't really anything that they had done. It was somebody had, had, a citizen had called in and had said, hey, this car is smoking. And then when they came out, they actually found it. So again, all their uh, stuff that they did didn't really do anything. Uh, it was a regular citizen that called it in. I tell you what, I would not have been surprised if at the end of that piece, the police chief said, uh, don't worry, New York. Big Brother's watching you. Yeah.
devil has given him superhuman strength. Oh, teeny.